Dozens of school children were at play, enjoying the sunshine one September day in 1994. They saw a silver craft and were met by strange-looking men who sent messages in their head. When the children told their teachers what happened, they were met with both skepticism and genuine belief. Once a major news organization, an expert in ufology, and an Ivy League researcher got involved, the story expanded well beyond the schoolyard. This week's episode is The Aerial School UFO Incident, Part 1. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. Never before has there been a more sincere and compelling argument for life on other planets, under the ocean, whatever. 100% I would stake my life that these kids are telling the truth. That's how I feel. That it's is not 100%. Made. I mean, you can't watch this documentary that, by the way, I was very impressed with how good it was. I was captivated. Watching this last night at one in the morning, I was on my phone in bed. I was like, oh, my God, I cried. I was mm-hmm. genuinely, like, blown away. I had never heard of this story before, and we were watching something else recently, and they talked about this. Yes. What was yeah, it? We were, it was called The Phenomenon, I believe, or Phenomenon, and I think James Fox is the director, and it's overall about various people's UFO incidents, and there was a, a segment in the middle. Tommy turned it on, actually. There was like a segment in the middle that was about this, and we've received requests or people tag us in videos and stuff to cover this, but the little bit of footage that was in that documentary that we watched a few weeks ago, we were all like, oh, that looks that they are telling the truth you know sometimes you think or honestly they would have all written books if it was all made up and tried to monetize off of it but it's like why haven't we heard more about this and why haven't we heard more from this Mm -hmm. and you're right i feel like the aerial it's called aerial phenomenon and it's on uh apple tv amazon youtube kind of the usual places to buy or rent it goes into the emotional impact and the emotional side of it and the psychology behind it. So it's like you can say, oh, I don't believe in aliens, but it's very hard to look into these people's faces and say, but I don't believe you but yeah. because you have to believe them. Well, and as we're going to break this up into two parts because the psychology side of it, like you said, and also just how um, it's affected these kids and the dangers of not believing kids and everything. We're going to talk more about in the second episode. But one of the things that one of the Harvard professors and psychiatrists that meets with the kids really discusses is it doesn't matter whether or not you as a parent or a teacher or whoever believe this. What's important is believing the children. One of the main researchers, Harvard psychiatrist professor, when speaking about it to the town and everyone said, it's not about what we believe. It's what their experiences and how they find the adults around them being receptive to that experience. Yeah. And it really, I mean, yes, this is about a 
very believable. And in my opinion, it 100% happened incident that it happened to these children. But if you extrapolate that out to not just UFO things, but anything kids come to you, especially an adult, a teacher, a parent, someone they trust, and they tell you, and what they are confiding in you is met with shame, skepticism, demanding that they not speak about it. They have to suppress it. That is traumatizing. And then also, what else is that going to teach them? Like, oh, well, I can't tell my parents about the aliens I saw. Well, I guess I can't also tell them about the teacher that inappropriately touched me. You know, I mean, like it can just, it expands to everything when kids feel like they can't trust you and that they're not going to believe. Well, then they're going to clam up and not say anything. And that's what Dr. Mack describes as, quote, going underground, where essentially the kids learn to suppress all of this because they're not going to be believed. And it is very damaging to their psyche as you see in this documentary. Yeah, absolutely. When you're in, when you come to your parent or like you said, someone trusted with anything and their response is to either laugh at you or deny your reality. What That's so confusing and so damaging to a kid. And we will see throughout this episode and episode two, kind of the benefits of believing the kid just in far as insofar as like them feeling like they can trust you. And then the absolute harm and detriment, not just to the relationship to the child and the disbelieving adult, but to the child and the rest of the world mm-hmm. because then they're like oh i'm an idiot i don't trust my own my own judgment i don't know what i see nobody cares if i say anything anyway which would then make you absolutely more vulnerable to be victimized going forward mm-hmm. just like exactly what you said by virtue of well they didn't care about that and i'm going to be met with derision and hate and mockery or whatever i'll just shut up about it and, and not you know not say anything yeah but you can tell man when they were believed it wasn't <sighs> like oh they're believing my story for attention it's like oh my god thank god because i really i i, I Somebody has to believe me. I'm like, you're, they're manipulating these children's entire, entire reality by denying them just the chance to be heard and express Mm -hmm. what they've seen. Yeah. And it's very like the power imbalance of you're a stupid little kid, your imagination runs wild. And so they're just completely dismissed. You know, if these, if all 60 of these children (laughs) were lying back in 1994 and continue as adults to have the exact same story and lie, they all deserve Academy Awards because not one of them did I think was not telling the truth. And as we'll see, like, as with any kids, you know, stories go around the play yard and everything. And it's like, maybe some things get a little embellished or you start to like, remember it, how your friend did because you hear their story so much. But overall, there are enough accounts that are similar enough to say, yes, this happened, but different enough to lend more weight to the truth of it and the sincerity of it, because it's not like they all got together and said, okay, we're all going to have the exact same story. Like there's little bits and pieces that are different here and there, but generally it's the same. And I mean, I can tell when my, well, Simon doesn't really know how to lie yet. I can tell when Ella's lying. Like, you just Mm -hmm. know when kids are lying. And kids also know when other kids are lying to them. And all of these kids seemed very sincere in what they had seen. And I never got the impression that they were making it up for fun or to pull something over on quite opposite. They were 
scared and traumatized and had feelings that they didn't know how to deal with and they weren't allowed to talk about it. Yeah, ongoing nightmares and things like that. For You know, when they talk to them months later, they're like, oh, I have dreams that they come into my bedroom now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was not something that they're making up ongoing because they're getting a lot of money or attention or fame. It was like you're being interviewed and some of them were like, I don't know if I want to talk about it again. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, I'll be on the news. I'm a star. Yeah, if this was a long-term hoax or prank, it was very pointless because nobody made any money. And in fact, mm-hmm. most people did not come out of it faring well. But... I would ask anybody that's listening that's like, I I would say, first of all, if you say, I don't believe in UFOs and aliens, you are literally wrong. The federal government (laughs) said they are, they have been here. Absolutely. They have been here. So that is also, they are here. And they, and I think they still are here, but they walk among uh, us. (laughs) Welcome. We welcome our alien friends. Um, I'm sure we can find a way to hang out and be cool together. Uh, You might already be hanging out with them for all you know. So (laughs) don't. You don't even know. But it's sad for me that, and I hope for all the survivors, the people that are still around that were a part of this can now see the news and see, like, I was fucking vindicated. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not crazy. And I'm glad to see the world is moving more towards it. But even, it's wild that even with this significant amount of evidence, it was still just sort of written off as like, oh, that cuckoo doctor and his weird little students that he was talking to. Ew, we got a lot to talk about. And we've already, we I mean, I'm so like, this is We're so fired up. <laughs> fascinating to me. I'm fired up on the behalf of these children. But mm-hmm. also, it's compelling and exciting. And just, I I had never heard about this. And it seems like something, perhaps it be, because it was in Zimbabwe, like we in America didn't hear it about as much. Or just kind of got shoved under the rug like a lot of these things do. I hope, like you said, now that it's, becoming more normalized that this will be reinvestigated and looked at. And I hope that, you know, there's uh, maybe we take more from this than we did at the time and we learn some stuff. Right. Listen to the messages in at the alien press conference. Somebody's got to raise their hand and go, that was you guys at Rio Zimbabwe, right? At the aerial school. And I want them to go, yep, that was us. Those kids were all right. <laughs> Everyone that made fun of them. They can fuck off. That's what I mean. I'm hoping I like an like- alien press conference that <laughs> you got are, to. <laughs> are so there's like a panel of aliens sitting yes, at we'll a, be taking like questions. an eight foot table with mics. And then we're all in the I say we because I will have a press Certainly. pass <laughs> uh, in the uh, audience just and they're fielding questions. Yes, I think that's how it would be. That way okay. you could just anything like what's with the probes, man? That wasn't us. We promise. <laughs> What's with the probes? <laughs> yeah, oh, man. I got a lot of questions for them. So I look forward to whenever this takes place. Maybe it's going to take place in Boston, Brooklyn, or Washington, D.C. in the next coming weeks. Because then we could stop by. We'll already be there. We'll already be there. If y'all are listening uh, on the day that this drops, July 11th, you have only a few days to get your tickets. There's a few remaining for Washington. There's still some in Brooklyn, still some in Boston. Uh, the VIPs are sold out in a couple of cities, but maybe not in Brooklyn. And if you haven't gotten your VIP, make sure you do, because we will probably be talking about this <laughs> afterwards, because we're currently very obsessed Honestly, yes. And honest, the second part of this will air that week, so we'll air next week as well. So uh, at the VIP afterwards, you stay after the show for 45 minutes, and uh, we just kind of sit around the audience. We all talk about whatever you want to talk about, pull up pictures from our personal lives. Oh, my gosh, we have so many pictures and videos of John Hopper we will be playing for <laughs> you at every VIP. So 
It, July 19th in Boston, July 20th in Brooklyn, and July 22nd in Washington, D.C. Go to SinisterHood.com slash live shows and get your tickets so that you can see our footage of John Hopper in our commentary, which I will not post on social media, but we'll only show y'all of like, there he is. Did you get him? It's very silly. Last night, he did three big hops, and Heather was like, oh, he just did three big hops. Those were good ones. <laughs> we get so very impressive. excited when he hops, because some... Last night, we're just sitting there, and all of a sudden, you go, <gasps> and I was, I think, in the middle of a story, and I was like, what? And you're like, there he is. And he just appeared in the middle of the path. We didn't even see him come from anywhere, and we were like, Mm-mm. where'd you come from, buddy? When you Maybe need him he's most. like, these aliens, and he just <laughs> is all over the place. We don't even know where he is. He's shifting, and when we need him most, he appears with the message. If you're not familiar, we're talking about our toad familiar, John Hopper. Listen to Freaky Friday. That's where he's introduced. But we've got lots of videos, so we'll see you on the road. And uh, John Hopper might see you in your dreams. Oh, yeah. We'll show you the um, pictures of the now three toad abodes I have in my backyard to <laughs> so many. Um, just make him comfortable. He's cozy. <laughs> I hope so. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. The area around Rua, Zimbabwe was abuzz in September of 1994. The local news had recently announced a meteorite shower over the town in southeastern Africa, situated just a few kilometers from the country's capital city of Harare. Though the news called them meteorites, local residents claimed to have seen something else. They described the objects to reporters at the time as glowing, radiant balls of light flying in a pattern with no sound. Even professional airline pilots saw them, reporting to air traffic control at the time that they saw unidentified flying objects in their flight path when flying over the area. Yeah, one guy was explaining it to the news and said it was him and 14 other adults hanging out outside and they looked up and saw this like large craft and he's like, oh, it's probably just an Airbus 300, which was like a new giant kind of plane at the time. But then he's like, we realized if it was a plane that big, that low, it would be making a jet sound because it's Mm -hmm. a giant jet and it wasn't. And then he's like, what we thought were these two engines began to glow this like bright red giant orange balls which was also what a different neighbor a few kilometers away was out feeding her chickens. And she's like, my chicken run was glowing orange. And then I look up and there's this big thing in the sky just glowing on my chickens. And then, of course, they get interviewed by the news and people are like, oh, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you mean that crazy chicken lady? It's like, well, or maybe listen to what she has to say. And maybe the chickens. (laughs) Maybe they were down there like – Maybe chickens are our overlords, and we don't know yet. And the <laughs> aliens like, are really going to them for some answers. Worship. Find them. <laughs> they can fly and they lay eggs. They can do so much. <laughs> Why do they eat them? They should stop eating them. They're- I mean, honestly, if we have to sit down and explain to the aliens why we eat some animals and not others, I think we're all, a lot of us are going to be like, you know what? You're right. We shouldn't eat any. Or you're gonna have to we're gonna clarify. eat all. Right? That's what <laughs> I'm saying. Because if they come down here and they're like, Oh, you eat animals. Oh, let me just see. Is that a hamster? And you're like, No, 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 wait, no, no, wait. no, no nothing hamster, nothing. Oh, like, oh, okay. Well, that's a cute little dog. That looks like a nice little mo- No, no, not the dog, not the cat. You no. can have the cow, not the horse. 
you <laughs> can have the pig, but not the one that lives in this lady's backyard. <laughs> not specifically this pig. Yeah. Other people, but not, preferably none, but also not this one specifically. It is a That's- hard thing to rationalize. My, I was a vegetarian slash vegan for many years, and I now eat uh, most meats. And, you know, so I've I've seen all sides of it, and everybody can do what they want. It was hard for me to justify, and it's still hard. But, I mean, other countries, like, cows are sacred. We eat cows here. They don't eat cows there. Some countries, they're all about the dog or uh, the guinea pig, you know? I mean, so, like, it's, all right. it's a lot you of it's cultural. No, the capybara. <laughs> okay, just because I ate a capybara one single time, one time, <laughs> like so many years ago, not even, I didn't even intentionally eat it, but you're right. It is, I mean, it was savory. <laughs> it's just meat. I'm just well, not going to go out. It's what's around, you know? Yeah. We don't have capybara running around like cows do. Man, what? People will be fleeing to the United States. That's oh, what's going to heal this nation <laughs> if we can just get a flock of capybara in everybody's yard. <laughs> Just hordes of them. I love them. And then you. Stop it. I'm not going to eat them. them. <laughs> Lost my taste for them. I'm not like running around capybara sanctuaries with a fucking bib on and two like forks in my hand. Just like, oh, they're so beautiful. I love their sweaters. You drool. Them Every right time I send you a picture of a capybara, <laughs> you reply with, mmm. <laughs> God, I'm joking. She I doesn't know. do that. Just like a the that emoji or that gif of that guy coming around the corner, like mm, rubbing his hands together. Dinner. Yeah, that's me at the capybara <laughs> sanctuary. To clarify, it was like my ex's family tricked me into eating capybara meat, and I'm still traumatized about it. But you know, you take your trauma and turn it into comedy. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Sinisterhood will be right back. Officials tried explaining the sightings as the debris from a recently launched Russian satellite that may have fallen back to Earth, but locals weren't buying it. Similarly, when told it was obviously a meteorite shower, residents argued that meteorites don't fly parallel with the Earth like these objects had. Yeah, any description was kind of based on gravity. They're like, oh, something probably fell. And the people that saw it were like, cool, well, this went the opposite way of gravity. So wasn't that? (laughs) Uh, Unless gravity... It's opposite day. That's not the answer. They have to tell us. (laughs) Though this was a subject of some international news attention, for the most part, the interest waned and turned to other things going on at the time. But in just a few days, the world's attention would once again be turned to this small area of Zimbabwe, and the focus would be on a children's school playground. On September 19, 1994, over 60 students were playing in an area near the school playground, at the aerial school in Rua, Zimbabwe. Children frequently sat on a log in a wide, grassy spot on the edge of the bush to eat their lunch and watch other children play. That day was no different. Staffers were inside for an all-hands meeting, so the children played football, chase, and generally enjoyed the sunny day. One child, Liesel Field, was in grade four at the time, and as an adult, later described the day, saying, It was something I'll never, ever forget. The details of what happened have been pulled together from the dozens of eyewitness accounts. First, children heard a buzzing sound, which some described as sounding like an electrical station, while others said it sounded like mechanical bees. The buzzing got louder until it stopped. Then the sound of a flute began to play. The children watched as a silver object that was round on top and flat on the bottom 
appeared to hover over a flat rock in a grassy area between two trees. Yeah, that sound is eerie, especially the that they're all describing. But then the sound of like a call, like a flute calling you. The the buzzing, especially given the area this was in. I mean, the in the documentary aerial phenomenon, almost all of it takes place at this school, which is out in the bush. I mean, there mm-hmm. are giraffes and elephants not too far from where these children play and everything. Mm-hmm. So if you're out in this field and there's the bush around you and you hear a loud buzzing, I don't, you might be thinking like, oh my God, there's a swarm of hornets coming this way. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, it's some military type of thing. The flute though is where I think things start to take a bit of a eerie turn. Yeah. You're like, oh, the buzzing, maybe it's a helicopter. Oh, that's not a helicopter. Luke Nell was in grade seven. He was playing football with his friends a little further from the bush when a fellow student excitedly yelled for him to look up. When he did, Luke told documentary interviewers. I saw it and it was, for want of a better word, you know, a UFO. I wasn't sure what it was, but it was a silver object that was in the sky. Luke tracked it with his eyes for a few seconds before he watched the object vanish. He and his palace continued playing. Across the playground, however, a different group of kids were experiencing something more. Student Daniel Mandy told interviewers, I saw this silver thing in amongst this clump of trees with this one thing sitting on the side and another thing sort of running up and down the top. The things to which Daniel was referring appeared to be small men. The children identified the creatures in generally similar terms. Men, standing three to four feet tall, wearing black full body suits, which some kids described as scuba suits or slick rubber suits. Their faces were exposed, showing off incredibly pale skin. Salma Siddick, grade six, later shared in a Reddit AMA. I saw a being that was three or four feet tall, no hair on any part of his body that I could see, with, as best as I can describe, a scuba diving suit and really big, captivating eyes. She also called the being's faces really white in color. In another interview, Salma further described the alien's skin, saying, Pale doesn't even, it looked plastic. It looked like someone who had had too much Botox. At the time, I didn't have a color or a word for it, but that's exactly what it looked like. I find this really interesting because the, she's, describing the Botox as an adult in this interview. And it is so true that a lot of times, especially with kids, they don't have the language to, or maybe like they've never even heard that word, you know, to describe something. And then later they're like, oh, this is kind of what it looked like. But I think because they don't have that adult language, they're often dismissed because they can't describe it. I would argue being able to like, say these things and then later recall like, oh, it was like that adds more credence to it. Yeah. Saying not, not trying to change it at the time and making, you know, if you're lying and people don't understand what you're saying, you might go, oh, well, maybe it wasn't really that pale. It, it Maybe it looked more like this thing, you know, to try to get understood or get the attention you want. But at the time they were just insistent and everybody's like, what are you talking about? And staying steadfast with it, having dreams about it, drawing the pictures throughout the years, 
in journaling about it, some of them said they were working through it in therapy. You do, like you said, come to a realization of like, oh, now I have the language, but you're right. It sucks that just because you're little and you don't have the right words for it doesn't mean that your point of view isn't less like valid than someone else. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, perhaps more valid because you don't have a lot of those tools to embellish or lie or make things up. They are all just like, Hey, this is what I saw. Yeah. I'm just telling you what I saw. This is what my friends saw. We all saw the same thing. If And that's it. Like, they're just very, yeah. like, matter of fact about it. You know, like, no one seems like, like, when a kid's making up a story, it's like, oh, and then, um, you know, like, well, one of them, they, like, looked at me. It's not like that. It's like, no, they were very pale. They landed. Um, we all ran over there. And we just kind of stood there and looked around. I mean, Matt, you're just playing. All your teachers are gone. You're just playing. And then all of a sudden, a UFO crashes in your playground. And there's some tiny men just that are your size. Horrifying. (laughs) Your size. Because they're all like four, four to five feet tall students. And you're like, oh, well, this is different. You're like, uh, hello, person child question one little boy got interviewed by i think it was the german news and he was like um, i saw everyone gathered around and i decided i wanted to gather too so i ran over and i got i'm so little i told him to push me to the front and then he said he gets to the front and he goes and then i saw them and i ran away and i didn't want to gather anymore Aww. but he's like six years old telling this and you can see it that he's just like Telling, you know, just saying, and then this, and then this. Because like you said, if you told a kid, what did the alien monster look like? He had five eyes. No, six. No, it was green. No, it was brown. It could have been so fantastical. And it's just like so consistent and also just like, I won't say boring, but it's like the kids could have made up a lot of different things. But it's just like kind of run of the mill of like, this is plain Jane. This is what happened, period. Which I think we'll get into more of what they look like. But I got some... I find their awesome. their description very believable from a scientific point of view. Oh yeah, and I have I have a theory of why they look like they're wearing scuba suits with pale faces and big I eyes. I think it could go up or down. That's I've been what thinking I mean. about this. This I think is what I'm thinking by too. Up or down? I mean ocean or space. I think it could go either way. Maybe it does. Hey, we're gonna that we'll get hole. to it. And mm-hmm. oh shit. As an adult, student Robert Medcalf told interviewers the creature he saw was not quite normal. I didn't know about UFOs or aliens at the time, so I thought he was a strange person. Medcalf also noted the way in which the beings moved, saying it moved kind of strangely, almost like, say, a very graceful sort of movement. Grade six student Emma Christensen had a similar memory, sharing with filmmakers that There wasn't any gravitational pull. It was very fluid. So when he was moving, it was very fluid and flowy. So again, these are, they're saying the same thing, but using different words, which is indicative that they haven't all come together to make up the same story and get their story straight. Yeah. They are recalling a thing they all witnessed at the same time, but from their own point of view. And when pressed, it, they are recalling and saying, no, it wasn't really like that, whatever. Whereas I think it was a colluded plant. Also, you're giving a lot of credit to 60 children to plan something. Um, but if it was, <laughs> first of all, that right there, never. 60 adults can't plan what something. What are you, crazy? You can't get 60 kids to all agree on something and then 
and then carry it out. It's just not happening. If you think that that's what happened here, you go and do that and let me <laughs> know how it goes because it's not going to go Wait, well. It's not going to work. I, I'll give you a task. Come over to my house and get two kids to yes. agree on something and then try to think if you could get 58 <laughs> more to also agree. Yeah, multiply that times 30 and you cannot. Go ahead, uh, no. <laughs> but you're right. Like the different of saying, well, graceful sort of movement versus fluid and flowy. Mm-hmm. Those are similar, but they're not using the same parroted phrases. Exactly. Another one's like, oh, it seemed like they slid. They were sliding. So it's all these variations on the same mm-hmm. thing. Indeed. Many of the children took note of how the creatures glided or bounced around when they moved through the bush, unlike any humans they had ever seen. Students claimed it was similar to astronauts walking on the moon, but less dramatic. Several of the students also described the aliens as moving in slow motion, a phenomenon MUFON coordinator Cynthia Hind had come across in previous UFO cases she had investigated. Claire Rixham, who was a grade four student at Ariel at the time of the event, later recalled her experience as an adult to filmmakers, specifically noting the odd spacecraft. I noticed that there was a large shape amongst the trees, which we couldn't really figure out what it was. It looked like a a big rock. It looked like water was trickling over it and the sun was reflecting in that water. It didn't look like a smooth metallic object, as you would think you were looking at a UFO on TV, you know, as we depict them. It looked natural. It didn't look like anything man-made. I thought that was interesting, too, that they described it as not like, although in their drawings, of course, they're rudimentary. They're in like second grade or third grade or fourth Mm -hmm. grade. I mean, nobody's like sketching it perfectly like a police sketch artist. But it was interesting, the description by several of them of like it was rippling or it looked like it was rippling or that it was like lumpy. They were like, well, it was definitely flat on the bottom, but the top was like round, but not, but it was roundish. But like, it was just interesting. Like it blended in with... The surroundings. She described it as like a huge boulder or something that, Mm -hmm. you know, like kept kind of reappearing and disappearing and reappearing again. Yeah. Salma Siddick remembers another bizarre and unsettling feature of the creature's craft. It seemed to disappear and reappear at will, making it hard for Selma to trust what she was seeing. She told documentarians. You saw it again appearing in kind of like spots. You saw it, and then you didn't see it, you know, and then you saw it again in the same general area, but it was like, okay, did I see it? Didn't I see it? Salma described the beings in a similar fashion, saying, It wasn't like they were just standing and looking at you. You would see them in various places at various times, so you didn't know if it was one or more than one. Salma said that these glitches were the scariest part of the experience, and that it was... More frightening than seeing what these things actually were was not being able to see them long enough. Oh, yeah. Well, this is all very fascinating to me because I don't think I've ever heard an encounter being described this way. Where, like, it was almost like the spacecraft was kind of glitching to look like maybe something in the environment. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. noticed. But then, like, it would reappear and they could more tell what it was but then also the aliens are doing the same thing almost like if something was being beamed in and out you know transmitted yeah like it's like your tv is kind of the reception's going in and out or something's just like there and all of a sudden like it's five feet away from you and you never saw it move it's just like disappears reappears 
Yeah. it's And like she said, it's eerie because as the kids, you're probably, A, you've never seen anything like that before on television and anything else. And that's what Cynthia Hine from MUFON kind of said. They're saying things that, like that type of, you don't teach kids in third grade. Right. Okay. People can either move by walking, flying in an airplane, or from glitching from place to place. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, what? No, they... They didn't have any books or movies or anything that they were drawing from. They were simply stating what they had seen. Yeah. And it and was something outside. that didn't sound like any other kind of alien encounter descriptions before. Yeah, you're right. And the glitching, I think some kids said, well, I think I saw more than one of them, but mm -hmm. then it would be the same one maybe moving or it was one big one and two small ones, but it wasn't a solid stasis like everything is like a car pulled up, parked in front of you, and then someone got out and talked to you. It's like it appeared and was kind of glitching and moving where it was at. Mm -hmm. I don't know, messing with the perception or something. And I think that that would be more terrifying than actually seeing something because it's just more of a affirmation. It's it's even more affirming that this isn't from here. Yeah. From an evolutionary perspective, we seek to find patterns, right? So even as a kid, you know naturally to find a person that looks like your mom or another adult. You're not going to go to a goat for help, you know, like, oh, a parent talks, whatever. So their brains at least can match patterns. And I'm sure the existential terror that came about when you notice, oh, that looks like a human-ish, but is smaller, weird looking, and also moving in a very different way. Yeah, you're going to, like that kid said, I gathered and I turned around and ran from the gathering. <laughs> and he's like, lift me up, put me back on the other side. I must run to the schoolhouse. He's like, please body surf me back to safety. <laughs> please thing. put me down. <laughs> Sinisterhood will be right back. As the gathered children looked upon the scene before them, several of them made direct eye contact with the beings, staring into the creature's large, black, and almond-shaped eyes. They described feeling drawn in, as if they were being called to the beings. The children described a mix of fright, excitement, and calm. Then, as if by telepathy, the students began receiving silent messages in their heads from the beings. Liesl remembered thoughts sent to her from the strange man during her interview with Dr. Mack, the Pulitzer Prize-winning author and professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. She told the doctor, It was like on the world, all the trees will just go down and there will be no air. People will be dying. I think in space there is no love, but down here there is. Fun guy, a boy around age 11, told Dr. Mack that he was terrified his heart rate went up, and he felt woozy. Yet, he felt compelled to keep staring at the aliens, telling the psychiatrist, Something attracted me. Fungi said the images shown to him made him believe something bad was going to happen involving pollution. And that's what they said. It wasn't necessarily words exactly. It was like various images. Like they were all being shown a vision of like mm -hmm. a dystopian future. Yeah. Like this Which is again. <laughs> what's going to happen. If and it and they said it wasn't as if they were telling them and you as a young generation need to change this. It was just like heads up. This is what's happening. This is what's yeah. going to happen. Like it was just like matter of fact and not. But you can change this if you do something about it. Type of vibe. yeah. Or in implant like oh, but just tell your parents to support mm -hmm. this bill that's on the. It's like no. It was just like heads up. You guys are teetering. <laughs> You're really fucking this up. And this was only 94. Yeah, yeah. 
Emma Christensen described to Dr. Mack what she felt when looking into the being's large black eyes. I think they want people to know that we're actually making harm on this world. We mustn't get too technologed. It came through my head, my conscience, I think. Time stood still during the encounter, and Emma felt compelled to listen. She believed he was telling her to beware of technology. Emma also recalled to Dr. Mack that she felt like the being's eyes were saying, I want you, and beckoning the child to come toward them. Emma told Mack she was scared, but also slightly excited and wanted to go with the beings. When Dr. Mack asked her if she thought she did go with them, Emma replied, Only with my eyes. I love that he asked that because it's such a open-ended question that also lets the child know, I believe you. Like, Mm -hmm. do you think you did go with them? Not like, oh, well, that's silly. They wouldn't have asked you to do, you know, it was like, what do you think? Like giving them the autonomy to decide like what did or have. And she was very thoughtful and she said, no, only with my eyes and my feelings. Yeah. And she was very captivated by the whole thing. She said she was very excited. He said, why did you feel, or she said, I also felt happy. Well, why? Well, I was seeing something peculiar that no one else had seen. And that was exciting. I mean, it's very, you know, mature for a, a young child to recognize that and also just have that kind of thought go through their head, not just pure fear. You're like, this is also pretty cool. And I'm seeing something that is pretty unbelievable. Right. This is, I was like thinking about my nieces and I was like, my older niece, my eight-year-old niece would absolutely react like this. Like she would be like, well, I walked up to him and I asked him if they had any messages. I was like, of course she would. Instead of just being like, ah, <laughs> screaming and running <laughs> off. But you're, but you're right. As far as Dr. Mack's questions, neither did he dismiss them, which I think that's why they were very open. But if you watch the footage, which I think some allegations are, oh, well, if they're being interviewed, they're obviously being led. And all, the footage is all out there. I mean, there's tons of it in this documentary. And then just separately online, people have just uploaded mass amounts of it to YouTube or whatever. And the questions are very open-ended like that of like, and then what happened? Mm-hmm. And then they tell you and he's like, oh, well, how did that make you feel? Well, I felt scared. Oh, okay, well, why were you scared? It wasn't like, so were you really excited about the aliens? Because then they took you on the craft and you mm-hmm. saw inside of it. Like trying to like push them. He's just like, okay, now what? And now what? And just like following their feelings and following their reality. And I think that's why you get those kids being so open because they do feel like it's a place where they're not going to be shamed. Yeah, they're going to feel heard and they know they can be open and honest without being criticized. Mm -hmm. As soon as they appeared, it seemed the aliens left. The craft flew off in total silence with no sounds from either the spaceship or nearby nature. The entire incident seemed to last a long time, according to most children. Salma wrote online later. Time had slowed down incredibly slow. It was as though everything was moving slowly. At least it seemed to be. Hard to put into words. In reality, Headmaster Colin Mackey said the children were out there no more than 10 to 15 minutes. I mean, that's plenty of time for it to land and them to get a little look. Oh, when Colin Mackey is telling... Dr. Mac, you know, of how long it took Dr. Mac's reaction was, oh, that's a long time. I mean, a 15 minute encounter with aliens is, uh, I'm good. That's a good time. Yeah, that's a good chunk. If we're signing up for slots of when we can meet with them, I don't need any more than 15. I think 15 is good. Yeah. If you walk out a half hour, that's too much for me. That's too much. Yeah. I'm good with 15. 
A horde of those who had seen the strange creatures ran toward the schoolhouse and reported the otherworldly experience to their teachers. Liesel said that many of the teachers dismissed their claims, saying, Maybe there's nothing. Similarly, many of the parents weren't quite sure how to react and believed their kids had made it all up. Liesel said that made Liesel said that made the children very sad because they had definitely seen something and wanted to talk about it. That's so heartbreaking. And I mean, she is a child when she's saying this, when Dr. Max saying, what did it make you feel like when they told you it was nothing? Well, we were very sad because we had seen something and we wanted to talk about, you know, I mean, it's very, they all sound very mature and like oh, they yeah. are very credible and telling the truth. But these poor little things like saw something traumatic, bizarre, maybe exciting, you know, like, and no one is, yeah, there's no one that's like, yeah, let's, let's talk this through. Let's figure, except for their classmates. Right. And some teachers, some teachers did believe them. And Colin Mackey was one of the, he was an ad, advocate for them and very much so believed them. And it was quite interesting and a, a bit shocking at how many reporters and and different people did come out to the school and he kind of gave them free reign to talk to any of the students and the students would go out and show them where it happened so at the school it was being discussed very openly and it was yeah. kind of split on did the teachers believe them or did they not yeah and i think you're faced especially that very day immediately following the incident you're faced with like a real conundrum of like everybody was in a staff meeting now you have 60 almost 70 kids Plus all the hundred extra kids that are, you know, the other extra kids around them going, wait, what did you see? And everybody's talking about it. And it's like, at some point you have to get order, which I get. But you then will see the development of, yeah, the belief system. And you're right. It's so nice that the headmaster is like, well, let's, yeah, let's look into it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had to live on site, too. I'm sure he's like, please, yes, investigate the thing that just landed <laughs> in my backyard. One mom was asked by reporters if she believed what her two children told her they had seen. Um, I don't know, really. I found it very hard to believe. I've always taught my children seeing is believing, and unfortunately, I didn't see, so I don't know if I believe. We always joke that the children saw these little green men come out, and, and they say, no, mommy, but we did see. Again, Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, well, and like, her kids are playing next to her when she's telling the reporter this, and then she's like, well, one of them I kind of believe. But you're making fun and light of a very serious thing that happened to them by saying, oh, these little green men playing into these tropes and, you know, TV stereotypes. And they're like, okay, but really we did see something. Also, they weren't green. They were pale white and dressed in black. Yeah. And it's not a joke to us. No, maybe take five seconds and listen to my story and you would know that they're not green. But it's frustrating to make that, again, that mockery that they're probably going to get from their neighbors and friends in the real world. They don't also need to get that from their parents. Mm -hmm. And when we, I think I was so little, I don't, I remember the story being told to me, but when we were really small, I think my sister was like six or seven, she was so sure she saw Rudolph at my aunt's house. And instead of my parents being like, you little idiot, why would you ever think you saw Rudolph? Oh, they were like- 
extreme. <laughs> no parent reacts that yeah. way. God. But it was like, oh, well, what did you see? And she's like, I saw a glowing red light. And they're like, well, where did you see it? I mean, because they're not going to say you saw nothing because she clearly saw a red light. Now, was it the vacuum charging pack or something down a hallway? They were just like, well, where was it? Well, it was down a hallway. And they're like, oh, well, do you think Rudolph was down a hallway? She's like, well, I don't know. And just kind of you can take your kid through an exploratory thought process without just completely denying their reality and being mm-hmm. like you saw nothing because you don't have to say you saw rudolph they were like we believe you saw a red light you saw we something don't know. yeah you saw what something did you see? maybe it was maybe we don't know the likelihood that it was a magical reindeer flying is a very small sliver uh, a larger likelihood maybe that it was a, a plugged in thing charging Maybe we should call your aunt because she might have a reindeer in her house and she deserves to know. <laughs> but it's like you could, you don't have to go, oh, little green men. <laughs> and even if you obviously know it's not Rudolph, to make your child feel heard and like, like they can talk to you in a way where they're going to feel believed and mm-hmm. um, safe, that's yeah. the most important thing. Right. Not yeah, for you're... a parent to be right and prove that like – magic doesn't exist like you know what I'm, i think and it comes <laughs> exactly. from like i think a lot of the fear with these the aliens with this is just fear of the unknown these these parents maybe don't want to acknowledge it because that would be acknowledging a whole thing that their brains aren't ready to handle yeah and then you have to grapple with why was my kid one of the ones chosen what do we have to do with this information it's easier to go well they probably were just making it up mm-hmm one family, the Trims, were missionaries working in Zimbabwe in 1994. The three Trim children, including Emily, grade three, were all attending aerial school and witnessed the incident. According to Emily and school administrators, talking about the event in their home was not allowed, given the family's strict religious environment. This, according to Emily, as well as teachers at the time, caused the children to become withdrawn. Their parents abruptly moved them back to Canada, preventing Emily and her siblings from being able to talk about the event with their friends and classmates that had experienced the same thing. Emily told filmmakers that the experience has weighed on her relationships even into her adult life, saying, It's a reminder of pain, of holding something inside. I don't want to hold on to these feelings anymore. So the documentary deals a lot with... um, Emily and kind of, and we're going to get more into her story in the second episode of her going back to this school 20 years later to kind of revisit everything. But it's, man, that is, this is when she was introduced, I was really like, this is really a captivating documentary that digs into all the stuff that you don't really see from, you know, oh, I saw an alien. Okay. Well, and then what, what was the next 20 years of their life like? And hers was feeling isolated, alone, not being able to talk to anybody about what happened, not even being able allowed to discuss it in the house because they're like, we are Christians and this isn't a thing. You can believe yeah. in angels, but I'll be goddamned if you believe in aliens, you know? So and true. And her her brother, who was, I believe, 12 or 13, was very traumatized in her words by the event and would have nightmares constantly. So the parents just snatched them out of school and moved them back to Canada where you're like, well, anybody that feels like they know what I went through and that I can like commiserate with has just been yanked out of my life. And it's 1994 and you're a third grader. You can't just like call them up on the phone and talk about it. 
Exactly. It wasn't like they could go like, well, we'll stay Facebook friends. It's 1994. If you try to write a letter, is your mom going to let the letter get sent? If you get a Mm -hmm. response, is your mom going to let you read the response? And your one family member who did see something that you could talk with it about, it's totally forbidden to talk about it. And then I'm sure as time goes on, it compounds the pain. But the teacher said they could see in those students in particular who were not being listened to at home, they said they could see the pain it caused them. They could see how they became quiet, withdrawn, like Dr. John Mack said, going underground. And you just see how it it is the single inciting incident. And it's like there are two paths that this family could have gone down with this. And one is vulnerability and intimacy and closeness. And the other is stringent adherence to an external force in our lives. In their case, it was religion. And to to sacrifice your relationship with your children for that steadfast belief is so crushingly sad to me. And you're right. It does make for uh, a phenomenal documentary, not just from a I'm watching it perspective, but from the purpose of the filmmaker of what a generous documentary that he's made that he's now letting all of these people who have been so ridiculed for so long kind of finally be able to come out into the light and be like, no, there's plenty of corroborating evidence and Mm -hmm. we'll put it in a nice package for you. Yeah. Sinisterhood will be right back. Colin Mackey, headmaster of Ariel School at the time, later told BBC News he had the children draw pictures of what they saw. The children drew flying saucers parked in the bush near the school beside aliens with pale faces and large black eyes. Having seen the results, Mackey admitted, I definitely feel that they did see something. When asked what it was, Mackey said, I agree that it could be something that we're not common with, but to actually say that it was a UFO, I would be reluctant to make a decision like that. I like this guy. He sounds (laughs) very measured. He's like, I think they saw something. Was it a UFO? I don't know. But he believed the children very much and was in their corner, and he seemed like he was really advocating to find out what the truth was, whatever it was. For sure. And it's easily as a schoolmaster, you could be like, we're not discussing this anymore. Any discussion of aliens will cause immediate expulsion. But instead, allowing them to work through their feelings and draw these pictures and not to just say, well, these are offensive imaginations of children, but to be like, none of them seem like they're lying. I'm not trying to lose my job in saying that this was 100 percent an alien because it's 1994. But I think he went as far as he absolutely as far as he could go while still maintaining his position, but to advocate for those students, which that's his role as a head master anyway and he said that it was challenging because he was getting calls and parents showing up every day asking about it and he referenced the trims specifically that like not all the parents want this to be discussed or even want it acknowledged so it is kind of a tightrope you got to walk of well i am the headmaster of the school my job is for the children i'm also having to deal with the parents so i think he did a really good job Tim Leach, a reporter with the BBC, told filmmakers for the documentary Aerial Phenomenon that the incident in Rua was perhaps the most reported UFO incident at the time. He began digging in, interviewing not only the students, but teachers, staff, administrators, parents, and nearby residents who may have also seen something. Leach, a war reporter by trade, had no idea how to report on UFOs, so he followed what he always did on the battlefield. Rigorous interviewing, documenting, and attempting to get to the bottom of the outrageous tale. The BBC had strenuous fact checkers and required Leach to obtain multiple sources for anything he reported. Leach continued to dig 
and told documentary filmmakers the story kept getting bigger and bigger. Leach began working with Cynthia Hind, who was serving as the Continental Coordinator of Africa for MUFON, the mutual UFO network at the time. Hind set about investigating the incident on her own. She interviewed students, went to the school, and walked the site herself. After interviewing each student, teacher, staff member, and parent, she concluded the students were credible. They had seen something, though what it exactly was, Hind couldn't be sure. She told interviewers at the time, Some of the things they've told me they couldn't have known about. Impossible. Gunter Hofer, an investigator working with Hind, agreed the children were credible, saying in an archival interview, I do believe something happened. And that's, you're starting to bring in the BBC. I mean, that is one of the most... That's incredible. I mean, MUFON people might be like, okay, well, these are just people that believe in aliens and little gray men. BBC is a very credible news station with acclaimed journalists working for it. Oh, definitely. And I mean, and Tim Leach had been in all of these conflicts. He had been in Rwanda. I mean, he had been... The footage of some of the stuff from Rwanda that he is shown in this documentary... It is, there are, uh, there's some bodies shown, just heads up if you do watch it, because the very um, shocking footage of uh, war at the time and just people strewn about the street, it's it's quite shocking. And that's what he, that was his beat of, reco- of covering that, and he said he lost friends and colleagues while reporting in these extreme environments, and, but the thing was always get the source get to the bottom of the story get to the truth he's not out risking his life to just make you know make stuff up and so this is of course is a very different situation and it is professionally precarious it's not physically precarious but it's very professionally precarious to send the telegram that he sent that was like 60 kids have seen a ufo this is corroborated it's pretty big i'm looking into it and then for at least a minute having okay well you can look into this as long as you are debunking you know you're coming up with sources you're really doing your research so you call in MUFON because at least to her credit Cynthia Hine you know being in charge she clearly has some belief in this otherwise she wouldn't be involved but she was asking pretty in my opinion severe questions like questions that were designed to root out lies Mm -hmm. to root out people and not she wasn't interrogating them in a mean way but she wasn't leading them again she wasn't saying like and then did you see the aliens in the black suit with a white face it was like Mm -hmm. okay well what else did you see well what else did you see and very much open-ended letting them lead and she's like once you compare it it's like you said earlier there's so many variations on the same thing she's like that's where we see a genuine unexplained incident not oh, this person made this up or they mistook an airline jet for whatever. But she's like, we can just at least say the witnesses are credible and what they saw, we don't know. Leach also said that of all the things he's reported on, which includes heinous wars, that this was the scariest thing for him because he couldn't wrap his mind around it. He's like, I can understand war and I'm comfortable on the battlefield, but this was something I had couldn't even wrap my head around because it had never been investigated like this before. It shakes the very foundation of what we know about our existence. Mm -hmm. It's certainly terrifying. Soon Leach's story in the BBC was picked up by Reuters and spread worldwide. He even contacted Dr. John Mack, Pulitzer Prize winning author and professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Mack instructed the aerial school teachers to have an open discussion with the children about the incident without imposing viewpoints on them. 
an archival footage of Dr. Mack meeting with the teachers. He asked them all whether they thought the children were making it up. The room filled with nervous laughter as several teachers raised their hands. One teacher believed the discussions of meteorites in the preceding days, combined with the children's imaginations, caused their imaginations to run wild. That explanation is not a good one, in my opinion. <laughs> like, Yeah, like, they all seem to kind of relish in the fact that they didn't believe them. Like, you know, when he asked that and they all kind of laugh and then the one teacher's like, <laughs> yeah, I just think like y'all are all silly for thinking otherwise. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I, I, it was kind of a smug. And then another one was like, well, I just thought it was a little convenient that all the teachers were inside at the time. Well, yeah, it was convenient in the fact that none of y'all can uh, be out there to back them up. But I don't think that the fact that they weren't out there means it didn't happen. And to say that means that, like, I only believe adults. I'm only going to believe this if an actual adult has seen this. But then when you're faced with an actual adult that's seen that, you have people that go, <laughs> but you're so silly. You're right. crazy. You have yeah. problems. You're making it up for attention. But I, I think it's a it serves in a lot of the old footage of not just from the documentary, but old news um, reports at the time. I was looking up old headlines at the time. And a lot of it is it is ridicule. And it was almost like and I wonder from Tim Leach's perspective as a legitimate journalist, when he was trying to report on it as a legitimate journalist and you are met with derision, if that's why other news news organizations are, went ahead and covered it like, oh, E.T.'s landed in mm -hmm. Zimbabwe, guys. Steven Spielberg's movie may have been, you know, it's like turning it into something kind of silly and or it's a long term disinformation strategy from the those in charge who don't oh. want us to believe. Another teacher disagreed, saying, I totally believe the children and a child can't make that up. Children know when other children are conning them. A third grade teacher, Mrs. Wacha, said she was convinced by the students' drawings and their writings in their journals. Ms. Wacha told Dr. Mack that the children were truly so frightened of the incident, she had no doubt they had seen what they described. And if you are a teacher and have been for, and she's still taught throughout the years, you know, eventually until she retired, but I, I have several friends that are teachers. I love my teachers that I've had and that I'm still friends with. You can tell the difference in a kid that's lying to you and a kid that's truly upset. Maybe. I think, uh, most of the time, yes, yeah. I was going to say, maybe you have one or two that are like really good liars for whatever reason, or, you know, even a handful throughout the years. But to have 60 coordinated all at once on the same lie at the same time, she was just like, no. And just the looks on their faces being that terrified. Mm -hmm. That's the heart of a teacher that's like, no, sweetheart, you can come to me. You can tell me the truth. I'll mm -hmm. believe you. And they would have had 10, 15 minutes to come up with this elaborate tale, coordinate <laughs> it all, and then be like, okay, on the count of three, we're all going to run like chickens with their heads cut off up to the school where they're having this meeting and just freak out and, and scream like, it's just not plausible. Yeah. And even so, it was. It would be the worst organized plan with the most amazing results somehow. Like, yeah. how is that yeah. even? Yeah. Dr. Mack led a public meeting in the capital city of Harare to release his findings. He explained his credentials to the curious parents and neighbors and outlined his methods of analysis. Then he announced his conclusion. The phenomenon occurred in the physical reality. Meaning it was not a hoax hallucination, or delusion. 
Dr. Mack later told the BBC that in his extensive training, he delineates between fantasy, reality, fabrications, and delusions versus authentic experience. After interviewing all the children, Dr. Mack concluded, This has all the marks of authentic experience. Which, I mean, that's that's exactly what he did the whole time. And I have a lot of respect for a psychiatrist and an academic who doesn't say, <laughs> that's stupid, because that's not how anything gets discovered ever. Right. Like, I think there's something growing in my corn dish in here. Throw it out, you idiot. It's like, well, it's penicillin. So maybe look into that. So yeah. discoveries are made in weird places all the time. And so for him as an academic and a scientist to go, yeah, I'll go check it out. Like, I- I'm... We'll see. And to hear that side of it of there, it's not a delusion. It's not a fantasy. It's not a fabrication. Well, that kind of only leaves one more thing. And that's like reality, which is authentic experience. He's not saying and 100% they saw aliens. Who knows what they saw? But they saw something. He's saying they saw something. And this is when he also tells the, the group of mostly parents and, you know, neighbors and residents and stuff like, they're looking to you to see how you're going to react and if you believe them. And that's really what the important thing here is, is to make them feel like they are believed. Maybe they didn't see aliens. Maybe you don't think they did, but don't dismiss them and call them liars. That impacts them lifelong. That changes, you know, your relationship with them. As we'll see with Emily in the next episode, like her relationship with romantic partners. Like, you know, I mean, the, the age these kids are is like, the formative years of when your personality is getting formed, you're knowing like who you can trust, what what's right, what's wrong you can do. And if you've got like the people you're supposed to be able to count on the most telling you like, oh, you mean the little green men that you and your sister saw? Ha, 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 ha. It's like, okay, cool. Well, now I'm never going to tell you anything ever and our relationship's going to suffer. Honestly, it's like, fuck you. Why would I tell you about anything? You're going to laugh at me and make Mm -hmm. fun of me. Well, and also you're right. Him at that meeting, it's not like he's like, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you aliens and UFOs are real. He's like, hi, public service announcement from a psychologist. Maybe you should not disrespect your children or damage your relationship with them. So it, it was always interesting to me that his focus was on the the children that went through this, the people and all, he didn't only study this, he studied other things. He's he wrote a book about it and stuff. And it was like those people was, he was never fixated on let's prove that what you said actually happened. Let's prove that what, that aliens are real. Let's prove that there's ships. It's I am analyzing you and your grasp on reality and what you are imparting to me is the truth. And that's what he cared about as a psychologist and a psychiatrist, medical, medical doctor. That's what he had all should these- care about. He's not a, he doesn't work for MUFON. He's not out there trying to prove or disprove extraterrestrials. He's there to say, like, this is how um, brains work and this is how the development of children work. And if you want to set them up for success in their life, maybe let's look into this. Yeah. Be let them be honest with you and be mm-hmm. receptive when they are. Sinisterhood will be right back. Although they had the backing of a BBC journalist, a medical doctor from a world-renowned institution, and their own intense memories and dreams of the encounter, the children were still met with skepticism. From bullying neighbors to doubtful family members, they were mocked or told not to discuss their stories. The long-lasting consequences of being associated with the incident would take an enormous toll on the children, the reporter, and the doctor, even in a world increasingly willing to believe. So what do we think? Well, 
I mean, I think you set it up at the beginning. This is at least the most witnesses corroborated and then subsequently documented because there's been a couple of other UFOs landing in a schoolyard incidents, but at least insofar as my research has gone, it is not as documented with repeated, consistent interviews with the participants from days after the event to months after the event, now decades after the event, and showing that they've remained consistent in their stories and have gained nothing from it. Yeah, and um, when Emily and uh, one of the other students goes back to the school and they they locate the drawings they had made right after the incident. They, Emily, who has been doing art since the incident and has dozens, if not hundreds of paintings of what she saw, it was the same as the painting, yes. as the drawing she made when she was in third grade. So, and sh she felt very validated about it. Like, this is what I've been drawing. Like, I remember the same. So if you're making something like that up, you're not going to remember 20 years later all the details and what you said. But to see it on paper, you're like, this is what I've been seeing in my brain since that happened. And I'm glad that it was written down so I can go back and be like, I didn't make that up. That really did happen to me. Yeah, that's a very beautiful moment of vindication of like, I've had these visions and I wasn't sure what they were, but little me had them too. And it was all after this event. And I know we've talked on the show before about witness testimony and like the invalidity of eyewitness testimony, specifically as it applies to wrongful convictions and, you know, Innocence Project cases we've covered. But in those cases and where I think you see the least credible eyewitnesses are the ones that are like a thousand percent sure about a tiny minute detail of like, I know it was that guy in the lineup. I would bet my life on it. It was that guy in the lineup versus you have several witnesses that go, it was a dark hoodie. It could have been navy or black. And the guy was around six foot tall, you know, and where the story remains consistent, but not precise. And I think that's what we see with all these children over and over. When you're asking them to recall it, they're like, the details are hazy, but generally it was this. Here's like what I generally remember. It's not like they would say, okay, the spaceship had 16 red lights and 14 blue lights. And I, you know, where it would be something that's like so memorized or fabricated or you're remembering the memory of it. Emily in particular, and I'm glad, you know, we'll have time to dedicate to her in part two, the consistency of her art and you see how none of it is a precise drawing. It's almost like she's drawing these feelings, mm -hmm. but they're taking the form of this incident that it doesn't just like look like her drawings from third grade. It looks like all these other kids drawings from school and she didn't have access to all those drawings. She only had access to her own memory because, of you know, not too long after she got snatched up and they're not faxing the drawings back to her mm -hmm. in Canada when this happened in Zimbabwe. So I thought that was very compelling, too, is that her art throughout the years has really reflected not fabricated, made up story, you know, where this eyewitness is like super, super sure over something really, really small detail. But like. I've had this general memory and this general feeling for all this time. It reminded me a lot of kind of Richard Dreyfuss and Close Encounters where there's this thing that has come to you and it's been so life-changing that you just have to get it out and, mm -hmm. you know, like almost create it with your hands to get a better grip on it and, you know, be able to see it and understand it better. And that is what her art very much looked like. Yes, like, and it follows the gamut of like, excitement, fear, loneliness, happiness. I mean, you know, it's kind of all represented there. And 
we'll definitely post pictures of it on our social media and get into that even more in part two. I do want to discuss, and so what do we think, what we think about the actual little men and the spacecraft and whatnot, because I got some theories. I was thinking, because my whole theory that I've been tossing around, I've been batting around, and there's really... This is just based upon shreds of information that I've gathered through doing the show, TikTok, people sending me stuff. What if, because we've only explored 5% of the ocean, there is a whole ass situation going on down there? No, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think there is a base. <laughs> stop laughing. I know you're like laughing. I'm, but I'm not laughing. Also, I'm not looking you, at you. Not you. Listeners. Stop oh. laughing. Listeners. Because also I do feel like some semblance of like relating to John Mack and not that I'm ever going to be a professor at Harvard or maybe who knows, but I'm not right now. But also and like Tim Leach were like, I, I come from like a credentialed background. I mean, you're none of us. You come from a credential. We like we don't want to be ridiculed but i think it's important to be like no i genuinely believe this so i genuinely wonder if there is some sort of a base under the ground under the ground under the ocean and that is either where a large swath of these small creatures have ended up or at least where they land and spend some time if they want to come to earth because i'm thinking about when we covered the unidentified Anomalous phenomenon is now what it's called, the UAPs, when we covered it uh, a few episodes or a couple of episodes ago, where the USS Nimitz, they saw it kind of going up and down out of the water. So I'm like, mm -hmm. they're taking off out of the water and it would be a way to park on Earth essentially and not be seen as long as you had the technology to do that, whether they originated in the water or have now adapted to, you know, go down in the water or whatever. There's something going on in the oceans is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think it could be ocean and space, both the suits that they describe them wearing good for water, but also like good for space, the paleness. Well, if you're in space, there's no uh, sun you're getting. And if you're uh, 30,000 feet under the water, also not getting any sun. Uh, the eyes also just like from an evolutionary point of view, if you are in great depths where there's not light, then you're going to have bigger eyes where, you know, you can filter more in same with space. Like, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, I think it could go either way, perhaps both. I find it um, interesting about the, the whole way it started. Here's my theory. I think these little guys were traveling along and had some, some engine problems, <laughs> and the buzzing and stuff was almost like mechanical things gone wrong. And then they're like, we got to land. And maybe the landing noise is like, do, 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 do. Like when the fucking Lomi finishes or my washer and dryer, it's like, da, 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 da. And then um, I think they landed and they were trying to figure out how to take back off. And it all just happened to happen in this field where these kids came upon it. I don't necessarily know if they were intentionally trying to make contact with these children. I think this just happened to happen in a field and all these kids came running over to see it. And because they're children and not um, haven't been jaded yet, their first thought wasn't capture them, kill them. It was just stand there, observe, uh, receive these messages and then they then they got their ship working and headed out. 
No, that's a good point. And if it was that they had like some sort of engine problems and just so happened in a school or we're like, we got to land somewhere. And they're like, don't land at the military base. They'll shoot missiles at us. Go to the playground. The kids will be cool because it is like a benign environment. And I wonder if that's why we see landings at school. Like you see these, you know, UFO incidents at these schools that have happened throughout the years, because it's like those kids aren't going to run up and try to attack them they're or the shoot same at them. Size or shoot as them us. Down. Go down there. <laughs> Yeah, that's where the adults are. They get bigger when they get like they're they're don't talk to them anymore. <laughs> right now they they're fine. That, Go down. We can talk to them now. They're cool. Uh, yeah. So Except I for that wonder one kid, the kid that's just like really tall for his age. He's like, man, no, none of these aliens want to talk to me. They only wouldn't talk to you guys. I was just over here shooting hoops alone. Like, be nice to the tall kid. I was the tall kid for a long time. Then I stopped growing in fourth I grade. Was the, always the tall kid. But yeah, I wonder if it's like if they are looking for a place to land and they somehow, you know, know or know can track life forms or whatever and go, okay, well, they look a little bit smaller over there. So let's go over there where the smaller, less threatening ones are. Like, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want to, if you're landing on an alien planet and you saw huge, giant creatures that could attack you or like a little field of bunnies, you might go land next to the bunnies. Turns out they're binoculars. We're all screwed. <laughs> or, yeah, it turns out Monty <laughs> Python style, that bunny has a taste for blood. It has yeah, a taste for I blood. Am, first, I, I feel like my, the, what I took away from this was, they just happened to land and the kids stumbled upon it. And then there was a connection made telepathically that was showing them what is or has already happened and is going to continue to happen. Like pollution, technology, uh, ruining things, like all of the things they described in 1994. Well, it's 2023 and they weren't wrong. Yeah, it's like fixing to be going on 30 years later, almost. We had the hottest day in 125,000 years, yeah. like last week. And, and then so the next day was hotter than that. Yeah. So we're breaking records upon records. And not in a good way. My mm -hmm. other theory might be that they were some advanced form of former Earthlings that mm -hmm. have the ability to travel through space-time and... We're trying to right a wrong and being like, if we could just send a message to like kids, they're more receptive. They're less likely to have a political agenda and don't we don't need to plant any seeds on how to fix it. Maybe because they're so creative, kids will find the solution to the destruction we've imparted on the planet. And hopefully, you know, it'll be a better idea than we could ever come up with here in the future. And our lives will be better. I don't know. It's like a last ditch effort to like, I don't know, go find some kids. This will be a thing. We can yeah. see in the future that the Zimbabwe incident's a thing. Send them a message while you're down there. I don't know. Well, I think these guys got to come back and talk to some Gen Zers because, yeah, though, I feel like you that's go to a Gen Z school, a Gen Z school. That's what. <laughs> that's what they call <laughs> they them. They all go. They all just go to work. <laughs> um, but I think that, like, in general, just society is more open to these things, especially mm -hmm. now and in recent months. So I hope that the more light is shown on incidents like this and others that people that did go through it that were uh, criticized and shamed, like, can heal from that and know, like, what you believe happened, what you experienced is real, and no one should try and take that away from you. Right. And your search for meaning on it can be the focus versus searching for trying to like, 
expending energy trying to prove what happened happened. Now you can take that energy and heal yourself, figure out why they visited you, for what purpose, you know, was it just random or is it, should I take something bigger from this? And I think that, you know, we can at least for now take something from this of believe children and believe people when they want to share their life experiences with you and then let it be up to, you know, ufologist or whoever to prove aliens are real or not. But at least if your kid's looking at you in the face going, no, I swear, I believe it with every fiber of my being. Don't tell them, you know, shut up. <laughs> Don't talk shut about up. this. We're moving back to Canada, especially when it's under the umbrella of we're a religious family and we will not discuss these things and in the documentary it was alan dershowitz yeah he's like man okay so you're gonna tell your kids you can believe in aliens and and all the or you're gonna tell your kids you can believe in angels and devils and all of this but aliens are off the table it's like when you put all of it on paper it's all the same level of absurdity yeah and if you're gonna believe one then you kind of got to believe the other too, because maybe they're all real or maybe they're all not real, but um, you can't impart your faith and this whole, well, seeing is believing when literally religion is faith-based. You're, yeah. you know, it's not a seeing is believing. Some would say you can see where God has made an impact and whatnot, but to tell your kids, like, well, seeing is believing. And they're like, well, we saw some aliens at our school today. And they told us that if we don't get our act together, you know, the world isn't going to be. And they're like, um, that is ridiculous. Now, sit down at this table, clasp your hands. And we're all going to pray to someone that we believe lives in the sky in the pearly gates and created all of us. Amen. It's like you can't do both of those things. Yeah, I would just yeah. Or tell your kid like, honey, you know, mommy believes that God saved us and Jesus is our savior. And, you know, although the Bible doesn't say anything about that, it also doesn't say that they don't exist. And it's just a, an unknown mystery of the universe that, but, you know, what happened to you is real. And, and I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I don't have any more answers. But yeah, instead of going, well, your thing that you believe is wrong, but my thing that I believe is actually way better and they're equivalent as far as the amount of faith that's required for both of them, I think it's just going, okay, kid, well, I don't believe mm-hmm. that, but all right. You know, it's like my parent when I was a kid and I'd say, what are the, why are those people going to that church? And she's like, oh, well, they believe thus and such, mm-hmm. and we believe this, and you're free to grow up and believe whatever you want, versus saying, oh, no, ignore your reality for this other system, I think. And you just straight up see, at least in this case, the damage it does to your relationship with oh, them yeah. and just to them as people. So, the parent, I mean, any any parent, I think, that forces their children to believe their uh, worldviews or on religion, politics, anything, it doesn't end up well. Yeah, right. They'll they'll rebel. Like I mean, <laughs> everybody, luck. you know, you might guide them in the beginning, but at some point, yeah. if they go out on their own and they decide to do something different, you got to support them. We are very much like what you just said. Of yeah, people believe different things. These people believe this. These people believe that. Some people believe whatever. Like we never say things are right or wrong. We just say yeah. there's a lot of different stuff, and it's up to you to decide what you think is right. Yeah, like when my niece was at my house on Thanksgiving and was like reading the sign above my mantle and was like, G-O-D, God, M-A-Y, May, B-E-B-A-L-I-E-N-S. God might be aliens? And I was like, oh, your mom's going to have fun with that one. Sorry. (laughs) Have a good night. (laughs) Sorry, guys. But for real, you know, it wasn't like, 
oh, your Aunt Heather's crazy, I hope. It's like, well, that's what she believes. <laughs> it might be what so, other, who knows? We all got to respect it. And then, you know, if you go to somebody's house and they've got a bunch of crosses on the wall, then that's what they believe. So yeah. we all treat each other with kindness and respect and not shame and criticism because we don't see eye to eye on something. Then I think we'll get a lot further. And we'll discuss that in the second episode and also what happens when you don't. Yeah, as you say, as the dude said, hey, man, that's just like your opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just everybody's opinion. Unfortunately, when you're a child and it's your parents' opinion and that's everything to you is, you know, it it's a whole different situation than as an adult mm-hmm. not being believed. 100%. Well, if you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next or dive into over 500 hours of bonus content, like our recent mini-sode on Alexa and Siri (laughs) in the courtroom and what they are allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. Also, I just want to put out a formal apology to our patrons who lovely episode they enjoyed it but it may or may not have triggered their um, devices in their homes so i'm so sorry if we turned on siri or alexa or google i'm so sorry there was a lot of yeah there was a lot of hey whoever that people were like everything was going off at once (laughs) sorry and for recent patrons thank you so much for supporting the show and make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout out Head to SinisterHood.com, click shop on the top banner to check out Sinisterhood merch like t-shirts, mugs, totes, clothes for your kiddos, stickers, and more. Just click shop on the top banner. You can also review the show, follow us on socials, and check out the episode description for more fun like topic-based playlists and links to those live show tickets where we got a guest list going and I'm just going to say aliens are now on it So because I don't know where they're going to show up and I want them to feel welcome. And they're welcome. And if you see an alien on your way, please invite him. A, we'll believe you. And B, we'll save a seat for him. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah, Or (laughs) maybe they just hover in the air. They might not even need a seat. (laughs) Yeah. If they don't need to land. If they can telepathically communicate, that means they can stand outside of any of the clubs and just hear the show from our own minds. And in fact, it would be like unfiltered. They would hear us the jokes before we even said them. Oh, no. Oh, fuck. (sighs) Yeah. They know too much. They're going to hear a lot in that green room. So. It's a, <laughs> a green room. Maybe like a little green man room. Uh-oh. Am I right? Nope. They're gray, it turns out. Or white. <laughs> very pale. Uh, but go to Sinisterhood.com slash live shows and meet us in Boston, Brooklyn, or Washington so soon. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. We're also on threads now. Don't go to Twitter. We're on threads. <laughs> <laughs> We're on threads. What's that, you ask? Go to threads.com. It's .net, in fact, and I believe you have to have an app. (laughs) I've yet to be on it. (laughs) It's a meta's answer to Twitter. So it's like the Zuckerberg answer to Twitter. It's very benign, I think, because most people's accounts are tied to their real Facebook profile. So it's really hard Uh. to be like, go eat a fart. And Susan Sarandon, and she's like, okay, Mark Brandanowitz, who lives at 123 (laughs) Smith Lane. I mean, well, you know, so there are fewer trolls so far. Uh, But also check us out on YouTube and TikTok. Uh, and also on Cameo, if you want to go to Cameo.com and search Sinisterhood, you can request for us to do a custom video shout out. We can say happy birthday, happy anniversary, good luck, you got this, whatever. Just let us know what to say and book yours now, Cameo.com. Where are you at online? I'm on Instagram at Christy and Wallace. 
I don't ever do anything on Twitter at Christy or GTFO. I'm on TikTok at Christy or GTFO. I've yet to sign up for threads, but I'll let y'all know. <laughs> You'll get on it when you- TBD. But, yeah, Heather, you're like, I didn't- Where are you? I'm on, uh, I'm on Instagram, TikTok, and threads, all at Heather versus the world. There you go. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Seven Deadly Sinners. Ashley Fox. Katie Smith. Mandy Diane. Andrea Lane. Nikki Dew. Tegan Addison. Last Responder. Ari. Leah Pierce. Avery Anderson. Elizabeth. Pamela Ann Marekta. Bree Carey. Nikki Smith. Molly Beckford. Clara Rubio. And Lauren Malatz. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We could not do this without you. And we sincerely appreciate all your love and support. We hope we pronounced all your names correctly. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Mwahaha. <laughs> 